Well, change in the rules of golf is traditionally driven by something like a lawnmower, but this time it's being driven by a Tesla. The USGA and RNA have changed the rules to reflect, as of this moment right now, two new standards that will largely do away with the use of video evidence, and because of that, call-in rulings from viewers. The first is called the Naked Eye Standard, and the second is called the Reasonable Judgment Standard, and they will be implemented this week for events such as the Zurich Classic in New Orleans. We're going to bring on LPGA Insider and rules expert Steve Eubanks to talk about the matter. Right now, we'd like to welcome on Steve Eubanks. Steve, I don't have a voice this week, but you do. So let's talk about the USGA and the RNA's new rules announcement. So we know the USGA and the RNA aren't exactly known for moving quickly, but they have shown some urgency here in enacting a decision to limit the use of video review that will go into effect immediately and not in January of 2019. Explain how how all this will work and how, how significant a change you feel this is. Well, I think it's a, it's a relatively significant change uh, simply because the, the, the two most, um, most recent uh, rules, fiascos, I would say, that, that, uh, uh, that we have dealt with, particularly in the women's game, uh, have dealt with rulings that will, as of, uh, as of 11 o'clock today, no longer be, uh, be applicable. They, they are completely obsolete. And Cassie, I, I know you're, you're choked up because of these uh, rule changes, and I, you know, I, <laughs> I appreciate it. But, but look, I, I mean, it's a... Uh, it is a major and significant change, and, and I really want to stand up and give, a, give an, uh, an ovation to the USGA and RNA for behaving so quickly in, uh, in getting all of this stuff done. Um, now, look, I, I talked to Thomas Pagel about this. He's the, he's the senior director of, uh, of rules and amateur status for the USGA. And if this hadn't been something that they had been discussing uh, for the last five years, uh, they wouldn't have acted this quickly. But these were rule changes that they had already gone through all of the scenarios, all of the uh, the computations, uh, and had decided that they were going to be part of the rules modernization process in 2019 uh, anyway. So the question that they had uh, at, the, uh, at the Masters, where all of the USGA and RNA officials were gathered, was simply... Hey, look! If we all agree that this is this is going to be uh, implemented, why would we just not implement it now, as opposed to waiting another year and a half? Uh, and the consensus was unanimous, and they said, "Well, yeah. I mean, we, we're you know, it's a good idea, and it's going to be it, if it's a good idea. Why isn't it a good idea now, and not a year and a half from now?" And so they they said, "Let's do it. Let's do it right away." And of course, what precipitated that was the um, the Lexi Thompson situation that had occurred at the ANA the week before the Masters, that was, uh, you know, that was still very raw and emotional, and people were, everybody at Augusta was talking about it. Uh, so th- they, they knew they needed to act and act quickly and decisively, and in a way uh, that was good for the game. And so what they have done in, in done here with, with these two changes are good for the game, and, uh, and they really should be commended for acting so quickly. Steve, pretty much every sport in the world at this point is adding technology to get the call, quote unquote, right. Here, golf is kind of making a stand and putting trust in the players rather than in you know the television evidence that we see in so many situations. Is there any concern that there's going to be too much trust given to the players? No. And here, here's the reason for that. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's a point that I try to make people quite regularly. Golf is the only sport where you have to chase the action. In every other sport, it's brought to you. It's put down right in front of you. 
uh, a football field is right there. Cameras at every angle. You see everything that goes on. Uh, baseball diamond the same way. You, you, it's all right in front of you. There's a set. There's a uh, a period of time in which it takes place, and you can see everything that goes on, uh, whether the action is taking place or not. Golf is different. It's it's over um, two to four hundred acres. It's uh you know it's going on uh in, in different in, you know with different weather conditions, different venues, different places, different people. Um, it's ha- and it's happening all over the world simultaneously. I mean, you will have four or five, six professional events going on at the same time and countless amateur events going on uh, at the same time. So there has to be a uniform set of rules that, that takes into account all of those circumstances. And in golf, what, what, we've, what the USGA has determined is, look, if, if someone, for example, takes a drop from a cart path and they happen to be leading the golf tournament, they're going to be on television. And when they take that drop, they're going to take their nearest point of relief, which is what the rules say. Well, you know, they might miss it. They might miss it by several inches, maybe as much as a foot. Um, Not intentionally, not because they're cheating, just because when you're doing something like that, you're making this decision in a hurry. You're trying to do it as best you can. uh, But there's a chance that you're not going to get it right. And if that person happens to be on television, why should they help be held to a higher standard than the 140 other players who have come through, many of whom have done exactly the same thing, uh, who were not on television? And that, that to me, makes perfect sense, and it's something that uh, really should have been done a long time ago, and I'm glad it's being done now. That's a really good point, Steve. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, in your estimation, what can a viewer now call in about, and, and should they be allowed to call in in the first place? Look, I, I don't think that t- taking call-ins is, is a good idea because it empowers, you know, somebody who really doesn't have a life who's sitting at home on his couch doing nothing but reviewing video evidence, trying to find something so that they can become part of the process. Um, which, to me, is is you know, it, it's a it's a little bit like the the Twitter universe we in where where you know you have a lot of courageous people hiding behind a keyboard who you know say and do all kinds of things, uh, but when they're actually out there um, on you know in the heat of battle, they're, they're not quite as courageous. And, and I don't, I just don't believe that a spectator needs to be involved in the ruling process. Now, th- that being said, for example, uh, you guys are probably too young to remember, but, um, but in Los Angeles, Craig Stadler once put a towel down, uh, and to, to kneel on the ground to hit a shot off of his knees. He put his knees on the towel. Well, that's creating a stance. Um, and, and that was actually a viewer call in. It was, wasn't later in the day. It happened immediately. Um, but somebody said, hey, look, he, he did, in fact, create the stance here. That that sort of thing would continue to be uh, a viewer could, in fact, call in if something that egregious and that obvious uh, took place. Um, Tiger Woods took a bad drop at the Masters in 2013 uh, on the 15th hole after hitting it in the hazard. He, he went back and you know simply dropped it in a bad spot. That would be a, an example of something that would no longer uh, be you know be considered off-putting because he did his best. He got you know he got he did he, he thought he was in the right spot. Uh, everybody around him thought he was in the right spot, and um, you know so he was called in and assessed a two shot. Pen, uh, viewer called in and assessed a two shot penalty there. So those are, those are two extreme examples of things that that viewers can still call in about as opposed to will not call in about. But the great thing about what the USGA and RNA have done is they also have have assembled 
I don't want to call it a task force. It's, they're calling it a working group. It's basically another committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will have representatives of all the televised tours, the LPGA, the PGA Tour, the, the Champions Tour, the, the PGA of America, the European Tour, and the LET. And what that, this working group is going to do is determine a number of things. I mean, they're going to make recommendations about should we allow call-ins at all? Uh, should there be a, a period of time in which a scorecard uh, issue is completely resolved. So, for example, at the end of a complete round, even though the competition is still going on, should we say, okay, this is it, it's closed, and everything that occurred uh, during this, we will no longer have scorecard violations as a result of this. Because one of the things that, that was, was concerning was uh, if someone if, notices a violation on a Thursday, uh, they could actually at home wait and call in on Friday, knowing that it would be an additional two shots as opposed to the penalty that would be assessed for the for the uh, for the infraction itself. Because if they waited, that person will have signed an incorrect scorecard. So it, it's an attempt to limit the engagement of of the general public from the outside and to just say, you know, look, we've got rules officials and we we respect the integrity of the players. Uh, and these things will be universal in terms of their application, no matter where the game's played. Is it possible for golf to get to the point where the, the people actually participating in game, uh, the, the players, the, their caddies, uh, a walking official, they are the only ones deciding the outcome? Is it possible for, for golf to, to get to that point? Um, I would certainly hope so. I mean, I would certainly hope it gets to the point where um, you know, the, the, the integrity of the game is still set up so that the, the, the people that are involved in playing it on a, on a regular basis are the ones who control the outcome simply because in 99.9% of the cases, that's exactly what takes place. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are going to be hundreds of events at the club level, at the amateur level, at the college level, um, even at the professional level and, and many tours and, and, uh, PGA section events all over the country that take place this week. Uh, and none of them are going to have the outside influences that the major tours have, where you have galleries, where you have a television audience, uh, where you have cameras zooming in from every single angle. Uh, and so this provides some equity in this, in that the game that the professionals are playing is the same game that the college kids are playing, that the amateurs are playing that the people at the club level and, and uh, club professionals are playing, and that's how it should be. I mean, we have one set of rules for a reason, because we want the game to be universal, and I think that's where we're trying to get to. Just from hearing people talk about the Lexi situation, it felt like one of the biggest issues was the incorrect scorecard penalty she received, which kind of seemed like double jeopardy to some people. What is the likelihood of something like that happening again? Um. Look, I mean, if you if you take away the penalty that was called in to begin with, then the scorecard penalty goes away. Uh, so, for example, if 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 mismarking a ball, if replacing a ball in a wrong spot unintentionally, and and you know not missing it by much, if that's no longer a penalty, then the scorecard penalty goes away because there you know there was no incorrect scorecard signed. Now, I agree with you, Cassie. Yeah, I mean, at, at the professional level. Uh, signing a scorecard is kind of silly at this point because everybody who's mm-hmm. with a television set knows what a professional shoots. Mm. Um, however, if we're attempting to be consistent, and the consistency is 
look, we want these people playing the same game that the amateurs play. We want the, <clears throat> excuse me, we want the, the, the club event and the, and the college event and the, the PGA section event to be the same game that the PGA Tour plays or the LPGA Tour plays. And then we have to be consistent in saying, look, the scorecard is an integral part of that. And, you know, you, you're, the player is responsible for signing his scorecard correctly. Um, and then it goes all the way back to, you know, the, uh, the most famous example being Roberto DiVincenzo uh, signing an incorrect scorecard at the Masters, which gave him a higher score than what he shot, and he ended up losing in a playoff. Um, so this has been an issue for 60 years, uh, and it will continue to be an issue. But I, I actually think that if we, if we reach a point where we say at the end of a round, where once the once the sun sets and the round is closed and all the scorecards are in and signed for and attested and everybody agrees that that's what it is, there is no retroactive going back and saying, oh, by the way, there was a penalty. There should have been a penalty assessed on number three on Thursday, uh, and this person therefore has signed an incorrect scorecard. That to me is an, provides an element of unfairness to it. And if you think about it, the USGA also felt that way because they changed that rule. It used to be automatic disqualification. Uh, and they went in and changed that rule and said, look, if it's no fault of the player, it wasn't intentional, there was no intent to deceive here, uh, it's a two-shot penalty and not, and the player can continue to play because someone being able to call in on a Friday from a Thursday and that player ends up going home, um, that's just that just puts the, the governing bodies in an uncomfortable position. So they're leaning in that direction. They've already made one ruling in that direction. Uh, and I see further changes uh, going that way. Makes you wonder why someone would wait an extra day, like what happened in the Alexi Thompson situation, waiting another day until uh, emailing in. But I guess that's the way, it, the way it goes. It's been an interesting year for the LPGA. Uh, did, did all this stuff with, with Lexi and even going back last year with Ian Orquist, did, did it hurt them or did it help them because we're talking about it? Oh, I certainly think it, it, it elevated it elevated the status of the LPGA for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and look, it hurt Lexi and Anna Norquist. There's no doubt about that. Uh, uh, but I think that in terms of the LPGA, um, I don't think it hurt them at all, simply because they applied the rules exactly as they were written. Uh, and they did so in a compassionate manner and they did so in a timely manner. Uh, now, there, you know, in the in the case of the USGA, when you go back to the Dustin Johnson situation at the U.S. Open, uh, there was a question about the, the timing there. Did did they did they screw that up by having already decided they were going to give Dustin a penalty and not going out and telling him? And then it, uh, at the U.S. Women's Open with Anna Nordquist, they ran out and told her about the penalty um, after she had hit her shot, but before. Uh, Brittany Lang had to hit her shot into the 18th hole, so it completely changed the strategy of the playoff. Uh, so, so there was some question as to whether or not that timing was good. They ended up not looking as good in this situation as the LPGA did because the LPGA handled their situations perfectly. They went out and and told um, told Lexi Thompson of the penalty and why it was being assessed and and what was going on the second they had made that determination. I mean, they waited not not an instant. They they ran out there immediately, and as much as everyone hated it and this and you know thought that the, you know this was bad for the game, it certainly was not bad for the LPGA. Steve, before we let you go, would we would love to get your input on Lydia Ko, who's who has made yet another change this time, parting ways with her caddy last week. 
You wrote about the caddy culture on the LPGA and how it's a carousel out there. How normal is it for Lydia Ko to have already been through a handful of caddies at this point? Uh, it, she would be in the minority if she hadn't already been through a handful of caddies by this point. Wow. I mean, she remember she started she started the playing on tour. She was fifteen. Mm. Um, so the fact that she has gone through, I guess, the number is I don't know eight or nine now caddies in in this period of time. Um, that that isn't the most, and it is the most by miles. Um, but these these folks go through caddies out there like they change socks. Now you, you can dis- you can disagree with that culture, and actually I do. I think caddies are employees, uh, and they should be treated as such. You know, you need to train them and treat them with the respect you would uh, as if you were running any other small business. Um, but 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 it's nothing unusual out there. I mean, the Jutani Guard sisters, you know, they they go through them like golf gloves. I mean, they're just they're just changing <laughs> caddies all the time. But it is a revolving door. I mean, every time you show up on the LPGA Tour on a, on a Tuesday, one of the first things you do is you go get the sheet which shows which caddy is working for which player because it happens every week. Somebody's made a change. It seems like uh, Lydia Ko, who just turned 20 yesterday, actually, it seems like she's hitting the ball a little better and getting closer to where she was last year. Is a, a win bound to uh, come sooner rather than later? Yeah, I think the two areas where she's shown the vast amounts of improvement uh, in the last six months are her driver and her putter. Took a while for her to get accustomed to that new PXG putter. I mean, it was a little, a little different look, a little different feel. Ball came off a little bit differently. Uh, so that was simply uh, an equipment adjustment kind of thing. I don't think her putting stroke has changed at all. The driver was a golf swing thing. Uh, and I think the changes that she has made, really going back to what she had when she was 15 years old, slightly wider, kind of moving off the ball a little bit, getting the backswing a little bit longer, uh, it is really doing a lot for her for her driving accuracy and distance at this point. And I think she's going to end up being fine. I mean, I really do. I, I would say a win is coming sooner rather than later. Now, I don't want to put any added pressure on her and say she's going to win in the next couple of weeks. But don't be surprised if we don't, we, we're not uh, seeing Lydia hoist another trophy very soon. Wouldn't surprise us whatsoever. Steve Eubanks, a lot of good stuff today. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, great stuff there from from Steve Eubanks talking about the new rules of golf being implemented this week. Uh, as for last week, our winners of the week at the Valero Texas Open, Kevin Chapel, former UCLA Bruin, in his 180th start on the PGA Tour, got his uh, his win by birdie in the last hole. Congratulations to him. Bern Wiesberger won in China at the Shenzhen International. Carlos Franco and Vijay Singh teamed up together to win in Missouri at the Legends of Golf. And on the Web.com Tour, D.H. Lee finally got his first win in 36 career Web.com Tour starts at the United Leasing and Finance Championship in Indiana. And now we will go right into our schedule for the week. All right. On the PGA Tour, it's the Zurich Classic. I think everyone's very excited about this event. It's a 72-hole stroke play format that will feature foursomes in the first and third rounds and then four ball during the second and fourth rounds with two-man teams. It's 80 teams, so 160 players, and it will be cut down to the low 35 teams and ties at the 35th position after Friday. The field consists of six of the top 10 players in the in the field at TPC Louisiana. I think they noticed they needed a change in that event, and they made a really nice one. I love kind of getting away from the, the standard 72-hole stroke play event. Really cool change for this week. European tour, the Volvo China Open is going to be this week. They're uh, staying over there in in China. Always a uh, a pretty strong field out there. 
on the LPGA Tour. We're at the Volunteers of America in Irving, Texas at Las Colinas Country Club. The world's top 20 ranked players all return to action this week. And, and on a side note, there will be two cuts made to the field this week. After 36, hold, after 36 holes, the field will, will be reduced to the top 70 players in ties and then to the top 50 in ties after 54 holes. So a little change in format for them as well this week. Very cool. And the web.com tour is once again back in, uh, in action at the El Bosque Mexico Championship. Um, pretty cool to see another event down there. They do a great job of traveling around. The PGA Tour was in Mexico City earlier this year. And uh, the web.com tour always has a pretty good flavor in terms of where they're traveling around to. Kind of jealous of all that travel they get to do. But hey, we're stuck here, right? Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) And on the amateur circuit this week, it's the Coleman Invitational at Seminole Golf Club in Juneau Beach, Florida. It begins Wednesday and runs through Saturday. And our postcast zone, Sean Fairholm, will be there on Saturday. I sure will be, yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, going out and seeing uh, some of the changes they made. Uh, uh, Ben Crenshaw and Bill Corr have gone out and done some tinkering with some of the bunkering uh, out at Seminole and preparation for the uh, 2021 Walker Cup being held out there. And the Coleman is always a great event. Tough course, tough, uh, tough field, always, uh, always strong. Stuart Hagstad will, uh, will, will be out there. Um, yeah, always, always a pretty, pretty strong mid-am and, and senior-am event out there. So uh, we'll, we're going to go right into uh, Bingo, Bingo, Bongo. Um, last week, we had the uh, Valero Texas Open, and I was, I was lucky enough to get another win, Cassie. I'm so jealous of you. <laughs> this is a little, this is so a little bit of just blind, blind luck. Kevin Chapel uh, did win uh, last week. Congratulations to him sticking that birdie putt and that great celebration on uh, the 18th hole at TPC San Antonio. Uh, like we both had Sam Saunders as our sleeper pick, he unfortunately missed the cut, um, and I had Charlie Hoffman to miss the cut. He uh, did not. He made the cut and finished tied for 40th in Texas. Very nice. Again, Sean, congrats on your win. That's awesome. I picked Jimmy Walker um, to win. He tied for 13, so not a bad showing. Um, like Sean mentioned, I picked Sam Saunders as well. He missed the cut, and I did miss. Um, I did pick Curtis Luck to miss the cut in his first um, PGA Tour debut as a professional and he did miss the cut as well so that's okay yeah better days ahead for Curtis Luck of course he'll, he'll be playing in uh, some sponsor exemption events throughout the year trying to get enough money to uh, to to get his card and uh, and Jimmy Walker being diagnosed with with Lyme disease that's an interesting twist and he thought that he had mono there for a little while um, hopefully he gets back to being 100% and healthy but moving on to the Zurich Classic for for this week who do you like to win Cassie um, I'm going with Jason Day and Ricky Fowler. Nice. Um, Jay Day, his mom's doing well again, so I think he's hopefully in better spirits. Ricky's well rested. We saw him on SB, what is it, SB 17 or Spring Break 2K17 with <laughs> all the boys. They had a good time, so yeah. <laughs> they had a good time. He's well rested. I think these two will make for a fun team. I think they'll keep it light, and why not play well at TPC Louisiana? So. Yeah, definitely. Jason Day plays really well there. I think his scoring average is something like 68-something uh, overall at TPC Louisiana, so he loves that course. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Fowler usually plays pretty well in the South on Bermuda, won the Honda Classic earlier this year. Um, for that reason, I'm going to go with Daniel Berger and Thomas Peters to win. Uh, Daniel Berger loves mm-hmm. playing on Bermuda, uh, won in Memphis last year, uh, You know, grew up in South Florida and Jupiter, 
Uh, and Thomas Peters, you know, he's played incredibly well recently, obviously had the great Ryder Cup, but has, has continued his strong play in, in the 2017. I think it's kind of a unique pairing, uh, uh, two sides of the Ryder Cup coin there with uh, um, a possible Ryder Cup American team uh, member in Daniel Berger, probably a future Ryder Cup team member and Thomas Peter, uh, Thomas Peters, obviously, uh, last, uh, last year playing really well. They'd be fun to follow around because they hit the ball a mile Absolutely. off the tee. Absolutely. It's going to be really, really fun to watch if you're out there and watching that duo. So my sleepers this week, I'm going to go with um, the Japan, Japanese great duo of Hideki Matsuyama. And I think Tanahara is, is his name? Yeah. Hedito. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Japan's number one and number three ranked players and arguably the best pairing from T to green with, um, you know, uh, Matsuyama's iron play and, Tanahara's putting, he, his was on display at the match play earlier this year. So I think they're going to be a sleeper pick, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them get a W this week. Yeah, absolutely. I love the uh, the, the country teammates uh, this week. Uh, Canada has a couple of pairings. Uh, Graham Dillette and David Hearn are paired together. Uh, Nick Taylor and Mackenzie Hughes are paired together. I love that dynamic of having two countrymen play together. I think that's pretty cool. I'm going to go with uh, Brennan Grace and Louis Oosthuizen as my sleeper pick. They played so well in the President's Cup a couple of years ago over in Korea. Um, they were 4-0-0 as teammates. I think that is a, a really cool pairing, and uh, they both hit the ball really well. Two sweet swingers of the golf club. I put those two guys in my top 10 swings uh, out of active PGA Tour players right now, and uh, I think they will play really well this this week in New Orleans. That's that's a really good choice. I like that. Who do you have to miss the cut this week? Uh, I'm I'm unfortunately going with your sleeper to to miss the cut. Um, I I, I oh, love no. uh, I love Tanihara. He played so well at match play. I think he will play pretty well. I'm a little bit worried about Matsuyama though. Um, he was my pick to win the Masters at the beginning of the year. Remember our first show? I think I, I picked him to uh, to win our way too early Masters pick, and uh, he did not <laughs> play well at Augusta at all. And I'm just a little bit worried about him being off. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me, obviously, if they played well. And there are so many great teams in this event, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take them to uh, to to miss that cut. Yeah, he's kind of he kind of cooled off after after a, a I guess a quick start to 2017, and that yeah, very know, quick start followed over from 2016. So I think he yeah. kind of cooled off a bit, but you know. Who knows? Maybe, like I said, sleeper this week. Mm -hmm. So my miscut, I'm unfortunately going with the brothers of Brooks and Chase Kepka. Mm. Um, you know, Brooks played really well last week, but um, this is Chase's first uh, PGA Tour start. He received an exemption into this tournament. So um, well, I guess we'll see just how their dynamic works together. But um, that's who I'm going to uh, pick to miss, miss the cut this week, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I know. I like that. Um, Chase is a great young kid. He just won the minor league golf tour last week. But, you know, stepping up in the PGA Tour spotlight, it's definitely a lot to ask. But hopefully his brother will, will help him out a little bit after that uh, that second place finish last week. Yep. And on that note, that's all the time we have left this week. Please follow us on our social media channels, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search Global Golf Post and you'll find us. And if you find my voice, can you pass that bat back <laughs> along to me too? That would be awesome. <laughs> Until next time, for, for Sean and I, hit him straight. See you later.